Welcome to the M3 Bear Essentials Podcast. My name is Malcolm Travers. Each Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I host a YouTube live broadcast and invite the editors and contributors of Mail Media Mind to present a topic of their choosing. We discuss politics, social issues, especially those facing the black and LGBT communities, entertainment, mental health, sexuality, and relationships, or whatever makes the news or makes us mad. View the show recording live to ask questions or comment in the chat. Subscribe to M3 on YouTube to get a notification when we go live. You can find links to our YouTube page and other social media platforms at mailmediamind.com. Now, enjoy the show. And we are live. It is Sunday, March 2017, and welcome to the M3 Sunday Hangout. I'll be your host, Malcolm Travers. Mail Media Mind is a grassroots organization dedicated to uplifting and unifying the Black and community through dialogue, insight, creativity, and knowledge. And every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, we meet to discuss the week, uh, the events of the past week and to give our unique perspectives on the world. Um, if you want to be a part of this conversation, go to mailmediamind.com. All of our social media accounts, uh, you can also subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And uh, we upload this as an audio file. Uh, you'll get it in your feed. So please do that. And also uh, send us your uh, questions and comments. Um, we really appreciate um, anything that's not even related to what we're discussing. If you just have topic uh, Let me introduce the panel. Today we have uh, Lonnie Richardson of Late Night Bear Talk and Lonnie's Life Lessons. Hey guys, how are you all? Pretty good. And we, all- <laughs> we also have Derek Jones who's joining us from New York. He is a leatherman, baker, and all around awesome dude. Hey everybody. Hey. So today we have a whole bunch of news items. Um, bullshit that happened this week. Because <laughs> let's say. I was posting um, this picture of drinking bleach again because of the president's speech. Because as I was watching it, that's how I felt. <laughs> read off a teleprompter, and that's enough for some people. You know. That button, apparently. <laughs> you yeah. can read bad speeches. That should be another thing, and just as a critique of speech writing. It wasn't even that good a speech. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But because he, you know, it's the, I'm going to say what I said Friday. It is the equivalent of Barney Fife through Mayberry, getting through the whole day without shooting anybody or himself in the foot. Yeah. Now, for everybody else, that would just be an everyday thing. But for him, that was something amazing. <laughs> that was somebody's six-year-old that got up and got through a whole speech without or pausing or looking for his mommy. Yeah. Exactly. I like the analogy that um, I think it was Anna Marie Cox. I think she of the former website, Monquet. Uh, she said, um, said, you know, this, this entire presidency is a focus or a reality show. And on on the reality show, Trump has been a dancing bear. You know, he's like a, a circus act. 
And they were saying, when you see a bear dancing, you don't critique the dancing. I'm just amazed that the bear is dancing. You don't critique it. So they made the bear dance at this speech. And you don't critique you don't critique the dancing. Said, wow, he can they, <laughs> two days later the bear twittered. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, I mean, there was a lot of fallout from the speech. I know one I saw in the um, politics group was um, something Van Jones said that night on CNN. I don't know. Did you see that little piece? Or did you watch the speech at all? I don't know. I watched the speech. Um, I did watch the speech. I, I didn't watch it live. I watched it Memorex, and then I um, so I was able to fast forward through some bits and pieces of it because yeah. Too. So I guess did you see the um, I guess the wife of the soldier that was killing that military operation. Did you get to that point in the speech? Yeah. yeah. So basically, Van Jones on CNN made some comments saying, "You know, now the president, presidential, or this is his first day in being president, or something like that," and that I guess basically commending him for the stagecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people just are kind of upset and done with Van Jones because of that comment. Van Jones going to be off the air in the next six months. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, like- really, I'm serious. Cause now, because what happened was now the fallout of you can't be attacking somebody. Yeah. Bad. And then do a 180 after they give a speech. Yeah. You know, your whole your whole entire mindset on this person has changed. Um uh, 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 has changed dramatically because he gave a speech for an hour, because he read off a teleprompter for an hour. Yeah. You know. And and now, oh well, he's not that bad. No, he was still the motherfucker that did all those fifteen hundred things before he gave that speech. And give him about fifteen minutes before he starts doing them again. Yeah, I mean the way I view the speech was mere competence of the Republican Party. Because basically, you know, a state this wasn't a state of the union, but a speech of this magnitude is gonna get, you know, million views is very much part of stagecraft, right? You gotta hit the right market tested lines. You go back through dozens and dozens of previous State of the Union addresses and they cherry pick little things that they make sure to put in there. For each group, you know, it's very organized. It has a structure. And believe it or not, I think that structure did come from Ronald Reagan. So there are people making those analogies with you know, he was one of the first presidents to use the person in the gallery thing. So, you know, there was previous spacecraft, obviously, you know, well-crafted speeches, but the whole idea of you audience, because you knew you were going to be on television, was something Ronald Reagan came up with. And so I think a lot of people are glad to see Republicans can still do that, even with a, you know, guy like Donald Trump, who I guess, you know, has been on TV for like 13 years, so I guess he knows how to give a line, you know, so. I think there's some decent there, but 
I don't know. I guess Lonnie, did you have any remarks about the speaking up or did you anything? About um, I kept going in and out. Um, I watched it, but I just kept going in and out, and um, I, I, I don't know. I just I'm not feeling it. I'm not the feeling him. I'm not, the I'm not magnitude saying. of his speech did not make you think differently of him. That maybe he had arrived. Maybe he realized the office that he was actually sitting in. No, I didn't have none of that. Um, I'm just nah. After everything that he's done and said, um, all the way up until now, um, or all the way up until then, just, I don't know, it just, I don't know, just a bunch of bullshit to me, smoke up their ass or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the policy proposals that he, you know, put forward um, were, you know, the same sort of shit. I mean, it's nice that you can do some stagecraft, but, you know, when you actually dig into the substance of it, it's the same shit. Now, that's not to say that there are some things in there that I think would support. Um, you know, so, so like the infrastructure plan that is going to be basically a lot of, um, you know, government subsidies to different companies. But I mean, that is, you know, job creation, I guess. <laughs> Something that I think even um, the Obama administration tried to get past. Yeah. Um, if it's proposed by a Republican, you know, it could be something that could pass. I, so, I think the other one was like three red Nietzsche liberals or Republicans. I know, moderate Republicans, which is um, paid family. <coughs> I mean, I don't know. It's an idea. <coughs> and um, I can't remember the other proposals, but I don't know. It was decent stagecraft. One of the things I wanted to talk about that was that came out after the speech was his budget proposal. Something that uh, we talked a little bit about before my live is that uh, he's proposing this huge increase in military spending, about 10%, which should be noted the reason 10% is a huge. Uh, you got to speak up, Malcolm. Oh, okay. The reason that the. Um, there you go. The reason that the uh, military spending increase of 10% is so big is because we spend, you know, more money in military spending than the next seven countries combined. You know? So it mm-hmm. a lot. And so because of that, because of sequester and you know, other uh, budget constraints, you have to make cuts, really deep cuts in other agencies that, you know, these budgets aren't that big. So you're talking about 25% cuts across. Yep. Um, and they were just saying this year, I know there could be some positive benefits to some people. They were talking about how the IRS audits have gone down by something like 10, 15 percent just because they don't have enough people because of the hiring freeze that he put in place. They don't have enough people to initiate audits this year. So. Well, you know, as he is quickly discovering, you know, shit that the rest of us knew this job is hard <laughs> this job is a balancing act this job is not just walking in and saying this is out this is what i want done yeah yeah so it was uh <laughs> it was something so i mean i think did mark join us there 
I see him. I don't know if he's here or not. I am here. I am here. Hello, Mark. There you are. Hello. How are you doing? Hello. Mark is the host of the M3 Entertainment Hangout, and I have to say it was like one of the best hangouts we had in a while. Oh, my God. <laughs> Such a good conversation. Y'all only enjoyed it that much because we was talking about <laughs> You know what, Derek? You know what? I was sitting there thinking the same thing. Like, I can't get nobody to get a deep conversation here, but I thought it moved like everybody floods in. But no, it was good. It was a damn good conversation. Like, a lot of people have been asking about it and whatnot. And um, even in the chat role, I found another black, li- black gay librarian in the chat role. So, in Nashville. So yes, I'm gonna be trying my best to go up there and see, like you know, if I get a chance to like um, meet them. But it was a good conversation. I'm trying to see if I can like condense it, maybe, and just like cut out all the stuff that, you know, like the um, the pre stuff that led up to the moonlight conversation because I don't think it was a two hour long conversation. It was more along the lines of probably an hour and some change, maybe. Probably. Oh. Yeah. And I thought about editing it, like downloading and editing it, editing it and putting it up on iTunes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And um, one of the things also that came up uh, because of Moonlight was just, uh, the fact that uh, Chris Impact Sutton, who does the uh, M3 Gaming podcast, and he also is the editor-in-chief of the LGBT update, uh, he's a filmmaker. I will sometimes forget that. <laughs> he actually has a documentary coming out about... Uh, Moonlight. He's got um, interviews. About what? About Moonlight. Moonlight. Um, he's actually doing a documentary oh. about it. Um, talking to three different members of the LGBT community and their reactions to the movie and talking about it. So um, we posted a, a trailer of that coming soon. And, I don't know. He added a lot to the conversation, I felt like when we were talking mm-hmm. about it. Uh, just because, you know, Went to film school, <laughs> so yeah. He um, I, I, I was. I need to ask him: Is he gonna have anybody who has seen Moonlight and said they didn't see anything? They didn't know what the hoopla was about because once the movie came out on Blu-ray DVD, some people was like, "I don't see what the big fuss is about." And these are people from the LGBT community and whatnot. And so I was like. Yeah. Do I need to come up there and sit with you and watch it and sit there and explain to you why this is such a big deal? Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, yeah. One, one of the major um, triumphs of the movie for me is how small the budget was to have the level of te- you know just cinematic technique that they mm-hmm. wanted. You know, such a small budget, it was kind of remarkable in that regard too. Uh, there's so many good things about the movie. Like beyond just the content. Yes. Um, I'm going to stop talking. Um, I got to go back. Legionnaire. Hey, Legionnaire. Legionnaire said the fact that 45 showed enough self control to. Oh, my. Hold on. Wait. I got to clean my glasses. Because y'all know Legionnaire don't really talk like this most of the time. Yeah, clean those glasses so you can read. Well, he said, and I'm quoting, 
The fact that 45 showed enough self-control to stick to the fucking teleprompter does not mean he is no longer a threat to this country. I am furious that the media is giving such positive bullshit responses to this speech. You better speak, Legionnaire. Hello. What he said. (laughs) Brian Lawson. And I hope a lot of people out there... Okay, wait, 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 wait. Brian Lawson added... People praising that speech is proof of white privilege. Giving a contempt speech is what it is what it takes to look presidential. There's no way in hell President O could have gotten away with that. Yeah. Sure so that, true. That you'd even say he looks presidential when you are the president of the United States. <laughs> here's again as I have said here's the problem when you're still trying to figure out when you've gotten the job and you're still trying to figure out what the job requirements are <laughs> that's a problem it's true, I mean, that's a problem I said by definition everything he does is presidential because you're the fucking president <laughs> like, this is really bad you have really taken the the level of this office to a new low I'm just saying Mm. you do is presidential <laughs> has anybody seen the video of him practicing in the car no oh it's, it's you know what there's no audio it's just it was raining and he was sitting in the car with with, with, with cards and he was clearly mouthing the words because he couldn't make everything out and oh. it was just if, again, if it was any other situation, this shit would be funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... This is this scenario, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I want to do a little uh, news update. I think it might just um, help us go on another topic that uh, like I said, I've been uh, monitoring news this was on the Malcolm uh, uh, Hello? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was lying. Okay, there you are. Yeah, yeah, that was lying. Um, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the tweets that Donald Trump had over this past uh, weekend and some of the other stuff dealing with Russia and shit. So. Uh, <sighs> Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. Attorney General Jeff Sessions says he will recuse himself from any federal investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Sessions at a news conference in Washington today saying he met with Russia's ambassador that there was nothing improper about the meetings. Attorney General also said his decision should not be used to indicate the scope of any probe. This announcement should not be interpreted as confirmation of the existence of any investigation or suggestive of the scope of any such such investigation. Sessions, in defending the recusal, said he felt he should not be involved in any investigation of a campaign he had a role in. President Trump today said he was not aware Sessions had any contact with Russia's ambassador. White House spokesman Sean Spicer defended Sessions being, quote, 100% straight about his contacts. So, can you hear me okay? Mm-hmm. So, the Jeff Sessions thing, that was, um, I forget which day that was. Is that Friday that he did that press? I think so. Yeah. 
So, I mean, the ba the backstory of, I don't know, the Russia contacts thing has to do with, you know, the Trump administration having contacts with Russian officials for um, know, several weeks um, prior to the election. You know, I, I forget exactly uh, when the, that story leaked, but it was, um, you know, leaked to the uh, New York Times and uh, CNN that not only did, um, you know, they have contacts, but the, uh, the National Security Advisor um, lied to the Vice President about it. He ended, mm -hmm. ultimately resigned over it. And then now we find out the current Attorney General lied to Congress about his contacts with Russia. Uh, it's, under, it's under oath, by the way. You know, he was under oath, and it's on tape. Him lying, and somehow, you know, the Republicans are still resisting an investigation into him. But at the very least, he recused himself from any. The Republicans are resisting investigation. Yeah. Um, into the whole matter, which I find disturbing. Again, it's hard to wave the banner of patriotism when you know there's some clearly shit that could be considered because i'm not saying they're traitors i'm saying it could be considered traitorous activity yeah and you don't want to investigate it yeah because i you never see an investigation into anything i think best case worst case scenario so i mean the best case scenario is that they're just having random meetings with you know other states in the uh, world. I mean, like that's all already odd. But with someone who's also a threat or considered a threat to the United States on several occasions in Europe, in the United States, all you know, yeah, I don't know. Like that—that's the best case scenario. Doesn't even really make sense. And the worst case scenario is so bad that you have to investigate, right? The, the worst case scenario is that he's the Manchurian candidate. <laughs> well, you know, it depends. Yeah. It, it depends on what color you are. <laughs> you know, as I have been saying, white people are discovering that there are indeed 17 different types of uh, legal system yeah. here in this country. Yeah. You know, now that, now that it's starting to affect them, they're starting to see that everything is not equal. Yeah. I want to um, continue on this uh, update. Bear with me a second. U.S. Senate has confirmed former Texas Governor Rick Perry to be the country's next energy secretary. NPR's Jeff Brady reports the vote was 62 to 37, mostly along party lines. When Rick Perry ran for president in 2011, he famously forgot one of the three agencies he had proposed eliminating. That was the Department of Energy, which he'll now lead. At his Senate confirmation hearing, Perry said he's changed his mind. In fact, after being briefed on so many of the vital functions of the Department of Energy, I regret recommending its elimination. Critics questioned Perry's qualifications to be energy secretary because he's not a scientist. The agency oversees 17 national laboratories and is charged with keeping the country's nuclear weapons safe. But supporters argue that as former governor of Texas, Perry knows energy and that others without science backgrounds have successfully led the energy department. Jeff Brady, NPR News. So, yeah, uh, more confirmations happened this week. Um, they were talking specifically about with Perry, but there was also um, 
Ben Carson, and I believe several others. I can't I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, one of the things, like I said, was in the budget proposal, cuts, major cuts to all of um, this non-essential government agencies outside the military. So talking like EPA, education, um, even the um, even the Department of Energy, which is uh, heading up. And then I remember last week we talked about um, how Steve Bannon just openly said this is part of their strategy, their administration, which is, you know, administrative state, like literally try to make um, the government run on very little money, uh, except for the military. <laughs> Whatever, strong. Yeah, that's their, their whole bread and butter, which is, you know, law and order. And you know, strong national, you know, identity. So the military is a huge part of it. So, any thoughts on the confirmations this weekend? Just the whole idea of the executive branch. Kill them all and let God sort it out. <laughs> now, I will tell you with with the um, with with all with these people taking over with the uh, uh, confirmations being had. I'm reminded of a little thing. Um, what was the name of that? Somebody help me out. It happened a few years ago in Louisiana. The weather went crazy. Hurricane, Hurricane Katrina. Katrina. Hurricane Katrina. And there were things, you know, looking back again, there were things that, that, that could have been done. There were some things that could not be helped. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when Katrina initially hit. But here's one of the big problems that remained a problem then and remains a problem now. The head of FEMA, who had been um, put there by George W. Yeah. Had, I was breeding Arabian horses. Right. He had never run anything like this before. He jumped like 18 levels. Yeah. And time after time, they're, they're, they've shown that uh, that's exactly what they want to do. Down? He yeah. had no fucking clue what was going on. Yeah. And this is going to be much more of the same thing. You know, you talk about, for good or for bad, the money that we're spending to run this country is not because we just printing a whole lot of money. We're actually not spending enough in some areas. Exactly. Necessarily the military. Right. I mean, the fact that the that military spending has gone down is because withdrew from Iraq. Hello, wars cost <laughs> military spending on a, without military conflict hasn't gone down. Our our level of you know interactions throughout the world, confrontation has gone down. <laughs> so yes, of course, spending went down. Yeah, but that's. Uh, but again, it's toy. It's literally it's toy soldiers. This is the, the 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 raid in Yemen is a perfect example. Yeah. This man, as commander in chief, 
school yeah. was sitting around and decided over dinner to roll out this raid, which, you know, the previous administration said, yeah, we don't have enough information for this. We're not going to act on this right now. It's yeah. easy to play, you know, Russian roulette with other people's lives. Exactly. You know what's funny? Um, there was a, a recent story, and I don't have a lot of topics, about uh, George W. Bush actually feeling a lot of remorse about the Iraq War to the point where he would visit, you know, hospitals, talk to, you know, former soldiers and family members who had lost their lives and just sort of actually feeling the weight of the decisions that he made. In fact, I remember uh, what was it? Decision points where I think it some of the choices. That Malcolm, you're going, out, you're going out again. Uh, I don't know whether the mic is not close enough, whether you need to treat it like a different object. I'm not sure what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm just too far away from the mic. But, um, yeah, I was saying that um, I don't think Donald Trump necessarily had any sort of real genuine emotions about you know that operation because I remember when he was accused of um, you know basically being responsible for his death he said no that was the generals that was the generals yeah, <laughs> yeah. and since you and since you brought up W mm-hmm. you know it's hard it, 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 you have to especially with everything that we've been going through lately with you know 45 yeah it's hard. You, you have to really remember that, you know, W was really kind of a dick himself. Because yeah. now he's just this kindly old man on the fucking news painting picture. Exactly. Hard yeah. to remember that at one point his administration was called the Access of Evil. Yeah, they they wrote memos trying to legalize torture. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty bad. <laughs> I would say that's bad. Uh, you know, they're they're also responsible for like the most horrendous intelligence failure in American history, which was nine eleven, <laughs> which no one ever seems to you know attribute to him at all. What well, no? Because you know what happened was um, he kept us safe after nine eleven. That was that was the that was what was repeated over and over. Right. He kept us safe after 9-11, somehow implying that he was not the president on call exactly. during 9-11. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's also like, you know, there's a Gallup poll that's showing that Donald Trump is the lowest, um, lowest rated president in popularity since the poll convicted. Um, you know, the highest... Highest rating actually goes to George W. Bush after 9 11. Yeah. Yeah, it was the highest any president had ever polled. But if but but the same thing happened here in New York. I wasn't here for it, but I've talked to more than enough people who live here. Yeah. Um, um Mayor Giuliani. Yeah. Um was dealing with he was getting bad press. Apparently, he had just left his sick wife to... He literally divorced his sick wife so he could marry his mistress. Yeah. And, you know, 
falling in on him and then 9-11 happened and all of a sudden he was a superstar yeah yeah I mean it, it, clearly they they formed a connection with a, a very vulnerable space that you know America found itself in after 9-11 and because they were there you know never let people just say that you know success 80% of success is just showing up <laughs> you know, yeah, like this is proof they showed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he sat there. I, I will never forget yeah. watching the news and that motherfucker sitting there while the children were reading to him. <laughs> yeah, dude, shit is happening. What are you doing? The children are reading. <laughs> I cannot disturb them while they are reading. There is always gonna be forever burning to my brain to like why is he not like escorted out of there like like something I was like he just sitting up and like oh shit yeah oh shit they told me about this oh okay so (laughs) I remember when they tried to explain that away well he didn't want to he didn't want to be rushed out and upset the children exactly I was just about to say first of all. First of all, fuck the children. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. First of all, fuck them kids. Shit is happening. For real. Thank you. For real, real shit is going down. Yeah. Fuck them kids. Yeah, that at that point we thought we were at war, you know? We didn't second of all. Yeah. Second of all, Children, you have to forgive me. The president needs to go and do some important things. Thank you for reading to me. I promise to come back. That's all you could have said. Yeah, pretty much. All you could have said, because Lord knows if Barack Obama had to sat there and look. Oh, my you know, God. They'd have drug him from here to Kingdom you Come. Know that's got to be, you know, that, and that needs to be the new scale. That needs to be the limbo stick. <laughs> however you would have acted towards Barack Hussein Obama is how you need to react to these other motherfuckers because mm-hmm. I, I think he had almost a flawless career in the sense that he did not you know I think he underestimated the power of the Republicans that would be a flaw but I mean just his approach to, um, to topics was always measured I mean he's a, a perfect standard to us because most of the attacks on him and his administration were completely unfair. And then you turn around and do the same thing. You know? Talking about, say, you know, the Russia connections are, you know, scapegoat. But, you know, Benghazi wasn't. You know? Like, yeah. You know, all the bullshit investigations that you talked about. Somebody mentioned, somebody was talking about Hillary Clinton and Benghazi today. And they said, you know, and, and this was a comparison to the whole Yemen thing. Yeah. You know, people berated that woman over the coals for a surprise attack that she had nothing to do with. As oh. opposed to this dude who, who over dinner decided to play G.I. Joe with yeah, real yeah. live action figures. Yeah. I got a question. Have you have y'all talked already about the um the claims that Trump the claims Trump made saying that Barack Obama um why taps his um the, oh, Trump, the Trump Towers? Not yet. Okay, okay, because I have some shit to say about this. Let me go ahead and play a clip about it. The White House is crafting what it calls a security budget. 
NPR's Scott Horsley reports the plan calls for a $54 billion boost in defense spending next year, offset by cuts in other federal programs. This is still an early draft of the budget, and Congress will have the final say on spending. But Trump's plan does call for a shift in resources, with deep cuts in many domestic programs and a 10% increase for the Pentagon. It will include a historic increase in defense spending to rebuild the depleted military of the United States of America at a time we most need it. Overall defense spending has shrunk by about 11 percent from the height of the Iraq and Afghan wars in 2010. But the U.S. still spends more on defense than the next seven countries combined. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Okay. The White House. But um, I guess, yeah, it was, what is it, um, Saturday morning? Yeah. When these uh, tweets came out. Um. Yeah, I wish I had the uh, exact quote because basically there were. Right now, it seems like everything is sort of in a holding pattern as to what is happening. Because I think there was a um, response from the spokesman for President Obama just saying they didn't, you know, they did not, you know, direct anything towards fighting. What to the holding pattern? Um, well, basically, until you know the Trump administration um, or Donald Trump himself actually. As what his, where this shit came from. <laughs> There's not much more to say. It came from, well, it came from his mind. It came from where after shit comes well, from. This more, I'm sorry. This it came, or, well, not his mind. It came out his ass. I know, right? Yeah. This morning, um, Sean Spice, I guess, had a press conference this morning, and it says that reports concerning potentially politically motivated investigations immediately ahead of the 2016 election are very troubling. Um, Sean Spicer said in a statement, a day after Trump accused Obama without evidence of having Trump Tower in New York wiretap in connection with the investigation of Russia. And he said that Trump is requesting that as part of their investigative investigation into Russian activity, the Congressional Intelligence Committees exercise their oversight authority to determine whether executive branch investigative powers were abused in 2016. And the tweet, I think, about Trump repeatedly tweeted about Trump, about, about Obama during the weekend, Spicer's statement said, neither the White House nor the president will come in further until such oversight is conducted. Well, damn. Yep. Um, um, I guess they, they said it in the article because when the shit hit the fan yesterday, um, not the shit, but when the tweet hit the masses yesterday and all this shit, everybody was saying... I, I didn't hear the question that I was, I'm like, it's not a question of whether or not, for me, if Obama did wiretap his um, Trump um, Trump Tower, it's mm. why would he want to? But that, to me, to me, it seems like it would give more credence to the fact that you do have like, fuck, like some seriously questionable ties to Russia and he had to sit there and look into it. I mean, is, is it, is, yeah. Go ahead. What are you saying? No, I was saying Lonnie, he was trying to say something. Oh, um, I was just trying to listen to what Mark was saying. I thought he was finished. But I was just, saying, but I was just going to say is that um, if they're investigating the ties to Russia, I, I would assume that they would tap everybody that had anything to deal to, to do with the Trump campaign or talking to Russia back and forth. That's my thought too, Lonnie. Yeah, I think there was an investigation because of the leaks. I mean, that, that actually... The, the initial investigation was dealing with uh, the, the hacks into the DNC and to um, 
Actually, they're not investigating. That's and that's part of the problem. They're not investigating the hack. No, they did. They did. That was the first investigation, and they did determine that um, you know Russia did hack. You know, they found they traced it back to the Kremlin. That, that was yeah. the initial. Oh, that yeah. yeah. So yes, in the process yeah. of that investigation, yes, it's possible that they listen into what the Trump administration possibly had connection to. Um, Russia, but they did the same thing for Hillary Clinton. I mean, <laughs> it was a full investigation into the leaks, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, that's a possibility, but all the uh, Obama administration was saying is that whatever investigation went through, you know, it was not directed by the White House. A lot of those investigations were just in, within the intelligence agency, which later determined that Russia had in the source of these hacks, you know? Yep. So, yeah. um, can you guys explain to me, um, if you can, why we have not did like a re-election since we know that Russia did um, hack into the election process? Yeah, you because know, that, we have no proof that Trump had anything to do with it. It's true, and if if the the result of these investigations, kind of fucked because there's there's really no precedent. For this to happen, other than say, because everyone, you know, like the vice president is involved in this as well. You got the attorney general. I, I mean, would fucking what's his name become president? Like, is the speaker of the house? It's really Ugh, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan would probably if if the investigation showed up, because no one involved in that uh, in the administration could could be uh, wouldn't be implicated. So, so they couldn't do a re-election. No. Well, let me not say no. I don't know. I I don't like like Malcolm said. There's no precedence for this before. Yeah, so. I believe basically what would have to happen is the investigation itself would have to make a recommendation to Congress, and Congress would have to pass legislation. But but there's no precedence of um, people hacking into our elections. Period. Throughout right. the history of our elections, so. All this is new territory, so yeah. why would we have to go through all of that stuff when we can just simply do a re-election? Well, things that's called law. Which is- you have to have a law that says you can do certain. The legislature has to write that law. You know, like even for a special prosecutor to investigate, mm-hmm. they have to have a special prosecutor law that that spells out what the pro- special prosecutor does. So you know, that's the other crazy part about the entire investigation of two. Weeks is that President Trump and L- Lonnie? It's it's funny you should mention um, the whole hacking thing because uh, one of the one of the former one of the former generals, I think, um, he worked for a former administration. I cannot remember what exactly his role was. I watched a lot of news shows this morning. Um. He was. They were talking about the new budget that Forty Five proposed, and he was saying this money is going to the wrong places because at the end of the day, while you're trying to buy all this military hardware, you're not investing it in the right things. Some kid in his basement in China, some kid in his basement in Russia on his computer is cyber attacking us and we have no defense against that because these wars are not the next war is not going to be fought on 
this plane of existence. The next war we fight is going to have a whole virtual aspect to it. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. You know, because you can have the strongest military in the world, but if it down from my house, you know, if I can, you know, screw up your communication and tell you to go to point C instead of point A, then having the strongest military in the world doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't. All right. Thanks. Malcolm, you muted. <laughs> I see his mouth moving. I see him talking. Yeah. <laughs> you just have all the audio issues today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's every every time, right? So anyway, um, I'm going to play a clip from this uh, interview, and um, I'll just we'll talk about it right after it goes through. But it's basically just five year anniversary of the shooting of Trayvon Martin. And some of the um, the fallout about that. Um, let me see. Here we go. It's been five years since the death of Trayvon Martin and the outrage that sparked a movement. 17 years old, black and unarmed, Martin was shot by a neighborhood watch volunteer in Sanford, Florida. The shooter, George Zimmerman, originally charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter, was acquitted. Now, after the verdict, there were demonstrations and this emotional Facebook post by an activist named Alicia Garza. It read, in part, Black people, I love you, I love us, our lives matter. Her friend Patrice Con Colors followed with the phrase Black Lives Matter, which became a hashtag, a rallying cry, and eventually a protest movement. I spoke with Con Colors earlier today about what's changed since the Martin case. In that moment, it wasn't popular to be in the streets. It wasn't a part of the mainstream dialogue. And so what we've seen over the last five years is the popularization of protest and the willingness of both media, but also Hollywood, to talk about Black Lives Matter unapologetically. You know, from the outside, it looks like uh, the movement has become not just about specific police reforms, right, but about this wider issue of getting the public to recognize racism and how it can lead to the devaluing uh, of the lives of Black people. But how has that, like, hurt and helped the movement, right? Like, would you have gotten farther if you were pushing just for, like, one specific thing or policy? I think that's a great question. The movement is a decentralized one. Many different people across the country are entering from different angles. We're not looking for one fix-it policy. We're taking on our mayors, our chief of police, our sheriffs, and our DAs. We're looking at the entire system and the ways that it can transform itself so that we can actually see a world where Black Lives Matter. And I think it's been incredibly effective. You know, you're now doing this in a new political atmosphere, right? Given the support for Donald Trump and given that his platform of law and order seems to speak directly against your movement, did this election feel like a defeat? I'll say this. Whenever Black people say enough is enough, we are often up against white nationalism. And so what this election showed us is our movement became too powerful and that white nationalism, although has always existed, took power again. And when you refer to white nationalism, you're referring specifically to the Trump administration. 
I'm referring to the Trump administration and I'm referring to his voter base. I'm referring to the people who he was able to rally around his hate agenda. Is that fair? I mean, is there also a, a large voter base in America that really do believe that the police should be given the benefit of the doubt and that they're not necessarily racist for doing it? Yes. There are people who are white racist and identify as such. And there are people who are well-meaning white people who also voted for Trump. There are also a significant amount of people of color who voted for Trump. And I think we have to consider what kind of conditions allowed for people who um, actually believe in American democracy to vote for a Trump. In the end, do you feel like your movement has moved from being uh, a reactionary one to a proactive one? Do you see this moving forward with a different focus or renewed focus? I think I see us um, moving forward with a renewed focus. We have to defend and protect our communities, but we also have to build a long-term strategy to ensure that those who are most at the margins, that we'll actually be able to build real political power. Well, Patrice, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Patrice Con Colors is one of the co-founders of a Black Lives Matter organization. Um, any thoughts on the uh, story, the interview? It sounded like a great interview. So I think one of the things that um, came up this week about, you know, with the Trump administration has been a, a rash of laws designed to punish protesters. Because um, I think the thrust of the interview was discussing how before Black Lives Matter, protesting wasn't necessarily popular. You know, like, to be honest, like, that was the major effect of the hashtag Black, Black Lives Matter and the organizations that popped up thereafter, you know, that protest became That's a difficult uh, statement to make that, that protesting wasn't popular. We've protested on and off throughout the year. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that Black Lives Matter brought that back to the forefront. I mean, there were protests like never before like there were other shootings that always happen i mean it's thrown up i yes i but in, in that situation i will say that this has been very different because i think this is the first time we've ever really done much protest using social media to get the word yeah. out a lot of times people would discover if you weren't in the right place like if you weren't going to the right churches or whatever then uh, news about the protest until the protest was happening right and it was you know, you're trying to catch up to it but yeah yeah even if it wasn't like changing the popularity of protesting it definitely changed the structure like you were saying with the, the rise of social media protests became from the ground up rather than the top down you know which was typically the whole reason for having a protest or a march was to help people network between different agencies from around the country. Uh, now that you're already networked in via the internet, uh, those protests, I don't know, function differently. You know, now it is to get media attention, just to um, get free, you know, words out into people's ears. Well, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm on a fence about that. I mean, we're both 
there what you said is, is true. I don't know because I always said that y'all know I've always said that in my in my personal opinion that it was like it was a hashtag, it was a, it was trending, it's a trend, and some people have made it have trans I'm saying not that transcended it, but um have elevated it more than a trend. Because as you know, some people had what you call it, um because I've talked to some people who organize protests and they'll tell me like, you know, we had a lot of people come in who were just about being um unruly. It was just an opportunity for them to be just just messy and shit. If you clear out all those people and everything like that, then yeah, you can have it, it has become very um it has become a viable mode of you know getting shit done. You know what I'm saying? So you got to weed out everybody who's trying to fuck up everything for everybody else. So I think also one of the impacts it can say of Black Lives Matter, like I said, has been a backlash. You know that it's actually having an effect when there's a backlash accompanying it, and they talk about some of the, the protest, anti-protest bills that are, are popping up in different uh, states. For instance, we talked about this before, where I think even with the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, that was in, uh, was it, North Dakota? They passed laws that said drivers could actually run over protesters and not be criminally fined. I think they were still civil lawsuits that you could have, <laughs> but you wouldn't find face criminal action for yeah. running over a protester. Like that's, that's fucking insane. It is. <laughs> and then they have, you know, new laws in other states. I, I think the one where, what was it? Um, Orlando Castile that was in uh, Minnesota, was it? Uh, St. Paul, yeah. So I think um, they passed a law basically saying that if you block traffic, you can face up to five years in prison. Like if yep. you call, you know. So we're seeing a backlash to Black Lives Matter in the way that we saw a backlash to the civil rights movement in the voter yeah. room. And so that yeah. you know that it, it is happening on the fact. Yeah. So um, I was going to just say this. Um, Trayvon, the parents of Trayvon Martin wrote a book. And I've been debating on whether or not I wanted to buy this book. He said, I local Walmart. I'm shocked. Is that our local Walmart? So it's not passed by the book section. Um, Y'all is coming up. You know, you know what? Yeah, kind of, except for the Moonlight incident, though. But um, we, so I was walking by the book section the other day and just walking by, you know, you just walking, you just turned over. And I did a double take and I noticed that, that, Blue Lives Matter cop also wrote a book. No. And somebody took his copies of his book and put it over the Trayvon Martin books. Mm. So I went and rearranged the book section again. You were a they, librarian at the Walmart. <laughs> I had not just a librarian, I was a uh, what you call them, uh, just an activist librarian because I was like. He has room over here and let Trayvon Martin get his space to breathe. You know what I'm saying? Because this is ridiculous. I said somebody was doing it to be because they had it, they had both books in the African American section. But they excuse me. But they but they took the book, <laughs> the, the black cops book, and put it over the Trayvon Martin book. So I took it and put it back over. They had put two copies of this book over Trayvon Martin books. So I was like, Oh, so people are buying Trayvon Martin's book, but I was like, no, you can see clearly that Trayvon Martin's book is white. 
it's a white cover with a with the scup with the um with the sketch of him and the hoodie on. And I they had put the the blue lives matter, the blue whatever the guy's name is, fucking whatever his name is, the, the fucked up cop. I just took his books and just scooted them over and bumped up Trayvon Mars book. No, I think Lonnie's problem was that all of these books are in the black in, in Yeah, the black they are. Book yeah. Area. I was shocked too. Lord. But, you know. But yeah, so you I mean, what I find interesting is the we only hear we only hear from the Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter people when the Black Lives Matter people say something. Thank you. When when there is a response to say the five police officers that went down on corruption charges in Maryland last week, you don't hear anything from these people. Not at all. The Blue Lives Matter people are silent. The All Lives Matter people don't exist. Mm-hmm. But it's only it's only an always in response to something that you're doing because you're making me feel bad exactly. with your blackness. Yeah, that is a problem. Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah I think uh, <laughs> that's sort of discomfort is like the one of the major problems of progress because people you know are just not willing to be uncomfortable <laughs> they're just like having uncomfortable. i think it's a little deeper than just not willing to be uncomfortable though malcolm i think it is literally not being able to recognize you know i'm gonna go back to luke cage mm-hmm. and the number of people the number of nerds and geeks that said this show is racist. It's all black people. It's got like one or two white people in it. This shit is racist. Really? This shit is racist? After 60 years, 70 years of television and seeing all white faces, this shit is racist. Hello. You Stupidity. Can't, you, you, you can't even see what the dumbass fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. So yeah, it's you know this. I, 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 I had a very good friend here who you know our our relationship. We got a deep, deep crack in our relationship that may never be fixed. <laughs> because he told me one day he looked at me and said, "Derek, all lives matter," <laughs> and I had to open up my face. What did you say, Derek? I don't remember. I just know we ain't been that cool since. Yeah, Lord. Yeah, I do. I mean, there was a it was a conversation. This is a this is a this is a man of 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 Caucasian origin, and um, you know, he's a he's a he's a big guy. He's not as big as he used to be. He's been working out and losing weight and stuff. But um, at the time. I, we got into this conversation one day about um, me walking down the street. Because, hmm. you know, I, for those out there who watch this and don't know, I'm six foot five. It's hard to tell on the video screen. I'm six feet five inches. Ooh, yeah, that and is I'm a scary. So, I know, right? Ooh. So I am not at all 
unaccustomed to women, especially white women, clutching their shit. <laughs> Coming down the street. I mean, lock it up. Clack, 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 clack. <laughs> I will tell a story in a minute. A different story. Anyway, um, and I told him, I said, these people that walk down the street, they don't know me. You know, but they see me and they are afraid of me because I'm this big black man. And he tried to explain to me that he is a big guy himself, would frighten people. He decided that he would just smile at them and win them over. And if I just took that attitude, then maybe, maybe things would turn out a little different for me. What type of foolishness? Hmm. But that Clearly. was his. But that, but that was his reality, and he was a. He is a um a, a, a ally. I mean, he's not. You know, he's not flag carrying, wearing a robe, racist or nothing like that. But he, okay, just no, 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 no. Because I understand. I understand all everything that you're not saying, Lonnie. I completely understand. <laughs> this apparently, again, haven't seen it yet. Don't want it spoiled, Mark. But apparently, these are the people that live in the Get Out movie. <laughs> <laughs> again, haven't seen it I yet. Understand. From what I've heard, I understand. I'm about to these, say are the, yeah. these, these are the people yes. that live in the Get Out movie. Yes. But, not racist, very liberal and everything, but just not getting it. Well, not to cut you off, and I do apologize for cutting go you ahead, off. No, 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 go ahead. I'm done. That was my point. I'm done. Uh, it, it's so interesting that you would say that. Growing up, since I was, uh, I was always told that by every job that I had, um, dealing with a lot of white people, like selling fine jewelry or just working in a white environment, they always told me, oh, Lonnie, you need to smile more. Lonnie, you need to do this. You need to do that. And to the point that I just couldn't take it anymore. And it's just so amazing that it is so easy for people that don't have the same issues as dark-skinned people. They want to tell you how to live, but that shit really doesn't work because ugh, it's just stupid, stupidness. Well, it's just interesting. It, it, it is. Well, you know, there is a, um, there is a bias that definitely talking about like height and size there is a, a truth to that and I think there's also a truth to which someone and I I got into a conversation with someone about this who previously lived in Atlanta and talked about living out in some of the suburbs because you know Atlanta is a blue dot and sometimes you go into these white conservative suburbs of Atlanta mm -hmm. and you become threatening black man again <laughs> you know and he said one of the ways that he dealt with it was to turn on the film, like you become the the most flamboyant gay man possible, and then you became non-threatening again. <laughs> but yeah. but that's the problem that a lot of black heterosexual men are saying is that they don't feel as though that they need to be feminized in order to make other people feel comfortable or be castrated. Because that's who you are saying. as what, a man. What you're describing is neutering yourself in order to be safe. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. Working. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you told you all the story before when I was working at Bloomingdale's in Chicago, and the woman that um, saw me cross the street. I was coming back with my lunch, 
had a bag, brown bag in my hand, had my uniform on, had my name tag on. All she saw was this black man crossing the street behind her. And the first thing she did was the purse switch, where she switched her purse to this arm. So she was along the side of the building. So I couldn't run up and snatch a purse. Um, but we were both walking in the same direction. So she sped up. So I sped up. <laughs> no, you did not. I did. So she sped up a little more. So I sped up a little more. Broke out into a fucking sprint down the streets of Chicago. This is like nine to the clock in the morning. And she is running for her fucking life. She in heels. I just and I, she was in heels. And I yelled down the street after her. Girl, first, it don't match my shoes. <laughs> streets fell out. Oh my God. <laughs> The, the sad thing is, this is how you have to deal with this bullshit. My hero. That was amazing. My <laughs> hero. I read an article where this, I guess, flamboyantly gay black man, he wasn't, I won't say he was flamboyant, the way he wrote the article, he was, he was, you know, what you consider, you know, stereotypical black gay man. And, um, he said that he worked in the company and he was white. I mean, he worked in the company with white people and stuff like that. And like Derek said, you know, it's like it's a safe, you know, you're safe when you're when they can when they can see you coming from a mile away in terms of like your personality and whatnot. And they thought that they could talk to him any type of way because, you know, oh, he's black and gay. He's not going to do anything or anything like that. So when his supervisor who he was getting along with asked him to do something that he you know, just really didn't want to do, so he told her no. And so she took that, you know, he had to tell her no two or three times. And each time he told her no, the explanations got short. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and so he, she turned out and told, like, kind of tried to turn the whole office against him, saying that he was being abrasive and being, mm-hmm. like, you know, he, you know, mean and stuff like that. And so, and he wasn't like, he didn't get all like, no, it was just more like, no, no. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's just bad because that's and that's to without spoiling anything for anybody who want to see the Friday hangout, go back and watch it again. Though, but that's kind of how I felt after watching Get Out this past week, going to work and just you know seeing and just noticing how people's. I mean, I've noticed it before, but it just like it was enhanced and whatnot. And so you see how people, you know, somebody's asking them, what movie you gonna see, and I said Get Out. And I'm thinking, like, now if you know movies and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure you've seen some on the TV come across about the, the movie Get Out. You've read it because you always reading the papers and you want to be socially aware and stuff like that. So instead of saying, "Oh, how was it?" they went to, "Well, did you not see La La Land?" And I just kind of like went to, "No." I just kinda, my my tone got a little like, "No." Like, "Why am I going to see La La Land?" You know, I went to go see Get Out, which was a great film. I enjoyed myself. You should probably go see it too. <laughs> and is that the whole point of a movie? To go to the movie and enjoy yourself. And to enjoy yourself. But it was like, oh, you went to go see Get Out. Maybe you should have seen La La Land. That's what I got. <laughs> and so I was like, no, I went to go see Get Out. And it was a good movie. I don't want to see La La Land. <laughs> Mark, that was that was your fault. If you didn't wear your blackness the way you do, when you leave the house, you would have different interactions. 
You know what? Uh, Somebody said some shit like this oh. to me. I think that I would just go completely. Somebody said that. Somebody said something like that to me once. Well, Derek, Derek, that's not what happened. That's just your perception because you go outside looking for people to bother you or looking for people to lock their doors. No. Yeah, when I hear the click, the click, click, click of the motherfucking door, <laughs> I know the door is getting locked. Exactly. <laughs> I ain't deaf. Exactly. And I hate when people use it to the wrong event because like I used it, you know, earlier this week, last week I used it to describe everybody's um, knee-jerk reaction to the whole Moonlight snafu, but can you blame, at the same time, I said I can see why people went there. I can see why people went there, but it's like you have to be able to differentiate, but can you blame people, you know what I'm saying? It's like, can you really blame us? So it just, I I mean... I mean, we have been shit on so many times that no, you can't. And even in trying to do the right thing, the wrong thing happens. Yes, it was no conspiracy. And Malcolm, I must apologize to you because I said that they took him off the account, which they did, but then he tendered his resignation. Oh. What the guy. So you are correct. He did get fired. I apologize for that. I had not caught up on that story. Thank you. Thank you, Joy Reid. Um, <laughs> yeah. What about the lady? Did she get fired? No, because she wasn't tweeting and shit. Apparently, they sit on the, it, the way it's set up. These two people from PricewaterhouseCooper, one is on each end of the of the stage. of the uh, stage wow. because people enter from both sides. Okay. So. That's why there's two sets of envelopes for everything. So right. it was his job to give um, uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway their envelope. But this motherfucker was back there tweeting like 45. You're basically oh, handed them the wrong envelope. Yeah. Okay. So like, was it like Emma Stone's award was right before the Best Picture? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because you look at the steals. We were in a video when they when they when he said it, you can see clearly on the guy the envelope it says Yeah, the actress. envelope says best actress. Best, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just and he looking best. like, you know, but and plus I'm not I'm not trying to say they old <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> because anybody else would be looking like you know, yeah, I don't want to say, but just like anybody else probably would look like, you know, I think Warren Betty was like, Where's the where's the party at? Where's the alcohol at? I need I'm ready to go over just chill. <laughs> okay, so the story, as I've been told, is that it was already a contentious week between Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Oh, he wants to read the. Everybody wants to read the 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 winner. Right. Oh, so they had gone through this whole thing, the two of them, where they had decided that she was going to read the winner. Oh, all the setup, she would do the delivery. Okay. Where I just fault them is not because because clearly again he kept pausing and everything. People thought he was being dramatic. He kept pausing because he recognized there was a problem with the information he had in his hand, but he didn't handle it well. He he passed literally. He passed it off to her. That's mm-hmm. why he, at one point he looks. He he takes the the thing out the envelope and then he looks in there again to see if there's anything else in there. And people thought this was you know he was being funny and dramatic, but he wasn't. He was like, this ain't the right information. All right, bitch, you gonna read this? 
Okay. Okay. Exactly. 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 <laughs> I was waiting for the setup. I was waiting for the setup, Derek. I was like, he was sit there and say, yeah, he was gonna be petty. Like, you know what? We went back and forth with this mess all week long. <laughs> you have this. You take this one. <laughs> you take this one. That makes everything so much perfectly clear now. But that's funny. It's so funny because it's old Hollywood. Oh, yes. Hollywood is very petty. <laughs> they yes. are the kings, the kings of petty. Oh my God. So, yeah, and apparently she didn't stick around for none of the parties after all that <laughs> shit went down. She took her white ass home. <laughs> they say she's uh, she's a mess to she she's a hard she's hard to work with. Like she is very they say she's a very nasty woman. That's what that's the quote. I've I heard. heard those I've heard those rumors before that she but, she is the last. She is literally the last of old Hollywood, but that crazy part of old Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Didn't we just talk about this, about uh, femininity or castrating people, and the first time you say no, then you become difficult to work with? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Let's see. Maybe but she's not minute, that difficult. But I've heard on different accounts from different people, male and female, that she is just a complete nutcase and this is before all this and I hated that because I thought Faye Dunaway was always you I know love, I yeah. because you, when you hear something about your favorite stars and stuff like that you be like really are you sure like who's your sources and stuff but but that yeah. made so much sense Derek thank you for clearing it up for me because I just thought it was just like why the hell did he did not look at the damn envelope and see best picture you know I, he did and he, and he handed it off to her and she, and she took the bank again if you go back and look she, she looked at him like oh my god would you just yeah. Yeah. you're doing too much <laughs> you're doing too much you're doing too much <laughs> I need means I need means to come out of that I need means <laughs> but honestly that didn't make any sense until you explained that Derek because I yeah I'm so looking for sense but uh, we need to take a little break. It's uh, 4 o'clock. I'm going to um, do a live cast, and we're going to uh, get our audience to uh, contribute some things. I don't know if you can check the Q&A. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, we only had one thing, and I saw it, but we was in the middle of the conversation, where Brian Lawson said, and I'm quoting. <clears throat> Put on those glasses. Blue slash all lives matter is basically shut up at this point. <laughs> yeah. He is correct. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick news break and I'm going to plug a few things in three. And then I want everyone else while we're listening to the news to prepare your uh, check it out slash tell me something good moment of the week. We want to end on a positive note, even though we often have hilarious okay. conversations about all the bad shit happening. But we're about to probably hear some more bad shit. I'll pause. This is uh, actually a live news update between stories. PR News in Washington. I'm Barbara Klein. Top congressional Republicans are saying they will investigate President Trump's claims that former President Obama tapped his phones during the 2016 campaign. NPR's Adrian Florido reports. House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes said Trump's allegations will become part of his committee's ongoing investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 campaign. In a statement Sunday, Nunes said the committee would look into, quote, whether the government was conducting surveillance activities on any political party's campaign officials or surrogates. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton said he's sure the Senate committee will also look into it. 
Their statements came hours after President Trump, without offering proof, made the accusation and called on Congress to investigate. Several Democrats, including Minnesota Senator Al Franken, have said the president's claims are merely an attempt to distract from the ongoing inquiries into the Trump campaign's ties to Russia. Adrian Florido, NPR News. All right. So what do you uh, make of that story? Basically, that the, the tweet itself was an attempt to distract from the investigation. Does that seem plausible to you? See, that implies to me that that he comes up with a plan. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I'm sorry. I, I've i said this before. I'll say it. It's, okay. So one of the things that keep, one of the stories that keeps coming out of the White House, and I am coming back to our original point, mm-hmm. is how the, how, how the, the, the staff has to manage him. Yeah. Yeah. He gets upset if he watches this, he gets upset if he sees that. He gets upset if this happens. He gets, and so we have to keep. This is what you do with a six-year-old. So, yes. is this his staff harnessing chaos? Then, makes, yeah, makes this. Really, yeah. Well, they can't control twenty-four hours of what he's seeing, what he hear. But again, he but, spends a lot of time watching television. He does. Yeah. yeah. And not governing. Um, they said just said on the news a few minutes ago that he's uh, he vented to his staff about how he cannot control this Russia story. He is that to me that's the key where he can't control it. Yes. I mean that he can't put like muzzles on certain people and whatnot because it's a it's a clusterfuck. It is. And he cannot control it like anything else he did during his campaign because you're in the office now, big boy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. You got to go ahead and do what you got to do. You got the keys. You, you got, got the keys. keys. Now you got to drive the car. <laughs> exactly. You can't sit there and look back at mommy. I don't know what I'm doing. Where's my training wheels? You know what I'm saying? You have to sit there and fix this. And now, <laughs> and now, and now you didn't say some shit about the previous owner of the motherfucking car. So you know he ain't going to help you. What's this button oh, said, bitch? I don't know. I don't know. And they just said Congress will investigate the Trump wiretapping claims. They yeah. just said it on CNN. They're gonna do it. So, it's, but that's you know what? But that, but you know what, Mark? That's a good thing. Yeah. Because if there was a wiretap, there was a reason for the wiretap. Oh, yeah. okay. Then we have to investigate what the reason for the wiretap was. See again, this is a motherfucker playing Tiddly Winks <laughs> against a motherfucker playing. <laughs> I can't even say checkers. We're going to talk a little bit more about the leaks. And I know we talked about it before. Uh, Stop snitching. Yeah, there was actually a new, there was actually a new um, uh, investigation, or, or I'm sorry, article that came out this week that tied in two of the stories that we discussed last week, which is one of the reasons uh, there are so many leaks is that People within the White House are trying to get Trump's attention by leaking information so that it would be in front of their desk. You know, because for whatever reason, the, the, the White House is so chaotic and protectionist or whatever, that certain people in the White House cannot get access to the president. So how do you get access to the president? Leak it. <laughs> and he walked Well, one of the one of the reasons the White House is chaotic is because it's not fully staffed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're getting ready to start opening it up for tours now. <laughs> like Monday, I think. 
I think Monday or Tuesday, the tours are going to start up again. Wow. Yeah. The, some comedian, some comedian, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was uh, Bill Maher said that when the when the uh, um, tours start, the first 50 people to come in, 25 of them going to be off for the job to start. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. Uh, okay, I'm going to do the next story on the um, live newscast. I'm gonna play it. A vocal critic of the Kremlin and Russian President Vladimir Putin is accusing the Russian government of trying to kill him. Pro-democracy activist Vladimir Karamorsa was comatose in a Moscow hospital a month ago. He's now recovering and says Russian authorities either directly or indirectly ordered him poison. I'm certain that this was an attempt to kill because when doctors tell you you know, you have a 5% chance of surviving. That's, you know, they don't scare you that way. This is to kill. This is not to scare. And I'm certain that the, the reason for this attempt uh, is my involvement, my work in the democratic opposition uh, in Russia. Karamorsa is now being treated by doctors in the U.S. There's been no response from the Russian embassy. So, yeah, this is when I came up again. Like, um, I think this guy just woke up from a coma this week. In Moscow, mm. and uh, he was poisoned. He should have died. <laughs> they said he had a bait, basically about a five percent chance of survival, and he survived because uh, he was in a coma for a month or so. Um, and it looks like, you know, I don't, I don't understand why people are still like, I don't know, not outraged because of the the ways that Russia deals with its political opposition. Because this had nothing to do with the United States. This is people. Who- I mean, who 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 are you asking should be outraged? The people- awesome. <laughs> the Trump supporters at Trump's willingness to sort of engage with. Oh, they don't care about that. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, really, they don't. They, they facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Fairness doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 I totally uh, agree with that. That's what would drive you crazy dealing with them motherfuckers, because you'd be like, but but the tablecloth is red. It's red. <laughs> is it? Oh, my God. Yeah, because, I mean, the funny thing is, if we have beliefs, common beliefs about the world, facts that we can both go to, then we can talk about our differences in beliefs. But we can't yes. even talk about the facts, you know, because I, I do believe that truth is facts with perspective, right? So your truth might be different than mine. But at least if we're coming from the same facts, we can talk about it. Yes. And it just, it, it's crazy. But anyway, I, um, if there's any more comment on that, I wanted to jump to the next story that was in this newscast. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and play it. A wave of migrants continues to flow toward Europe this weekend. Lauren Freyer reports so far more than 1,100 migrants have been rescued off Italy's Mediterranean coast. Most of the survivors are Africans from Somalia and Eritrea who first traveled by land to Libya and then by sea toward Italy. They include dozens of children, some of them traveling alone with no relatives. One Somali man died after being rescued from a rubber raft in frigid seas. 250 of the migrants were rescued off Libya's coast by a former fishing vessel being operated by a group of Spanish volunteer lifeguards. The flow of migrants crossing the Mediterranean to Europe usually subsides in winter, 
But this year, more than 15,000 have been rescued so far off Italy's coast alone. For NPR News, I'm Lauren Freyer in Petra, Spain. Police outside Seattle, Washington, are searching for a gunman who shot and injured an Indian Sikh man Friday. Indian's foreign minister says the 39-year-old victim is a U.S. national who was outside his home when the suspect approached him and allegedly said, go back to your own country. This is NPR. All right. (laughs) So we got the Somali migrants in Italy and the Indian man who was shot. yeah. Any any comments on those two stories this week? I don't understand. Let's go back to your thing about people. Hmm. I mean, you your people is from somewhere else too. Exactly. Yeah, I actually- they tend to forget that it's most important fact. It's like they were not there in history class when they sat there said, "Well, you know, when Plymouth Rock." <clears throat> when the when the uh, without Plymouth Rock, but, uh, when the Mayflower landed here, or when the other ships landed here. You know, they discovered this new world, which was America. And there was people already here. They missed their whole entire day. They might have been in detention for telling people to go back to the country. So I don't know. Yeah. I actually want to play a story um, examining that shooting. If uh, you'll give me just a moment to play it. Um, I, You know, the president talked about it in a speech. It actually did make quite a bit of news. This is sort of the reaction in India to the news of the shooting. India is absorbing the news of a shooting outside of Kansas City. Last week, a gunman killed one Indian man and injured another, along with an American. The Justice Department is now investigating whether this shooting was a hate crime. To tell us how people in India are reacting to this, we're joined by NPR's Julie McCarthy from New Delhi. Hi, Julie. Hi, Ari. What is the narrative in India? How is the story being told over there? Well, you have two Indian uh, professional IT people, Srinivas Kuchibatla, who was killed, and Alok Madasani, who was injured. They're in the United States as high-skilled workers. They're there legally. They've got advanced degrees from American schools. They were living the archetypal dream for many Indians. And so there's nonstop coverage about this incident. Social media is buzzing with it and talking about a toxic atmosphere that might be taking hold in the U.S. When you go out and talk to everyday Indian folks, do they feel that there's a toxic atmosphere? Are they reluctant to come to the United States? Well, I asked this woman at a market that very question. What was her reaction? Without hesitation, she looked at me and she said, what is the U.S. coming to? This was Mrs. Kapoor. She didn't want to use her entire name for fear of repercussions from her multinational company. She'd been to the U.S. before, but after this shooting, she told me she would think twice about going back. Or if I am there about being out on the road. I was reading in the newspaper today, the people are saying, don't talk in your mother tongue when you're out in public places. I'm People are saying to protect yourself, please talk in English. Don't create a scene. If there is a scene, just walk away. Ari, I went to the Indian Institute of Technology today to talk to the IT talent there that's often plucked by U.S. firms to come to the States. And students at the Delhi campus sort of ran the gamut. One young woman said, I don't want to worry about sitting at a bar and wonder whether someone's going to come along and shoot me because of the color of my skin. And now the gunman in Kansas reportedly told a bartender that he had killed two Middle Easterners. Another bigger current, though, was that students said to me, I don't feel welcomed right now in the United States, especially after this incident. I'm going to wait and see what happens with the Trump administration regarding visas and immigrants. And then there is the third group who says, I'd go tomorrow. 
No, there's two million Indians in the in the U.S. And that idea that the U.S. is still a place where you can further yourself has really not been shaken among the young. And one of them, Vasek Hussein, was an engineering master student, told me that despite the sense of anti-immigrant attitude deepening, he'd go to the United States tomorrow if he could. Here he is. Because everyone wants to live the American dream. That's a big thing. And why are you killing the American dream? And Julie, what about the Indian government? What, what do we expect to hear from them? Well, you know, the public doesn't think they're going to hear a lot of noise being made by the Indian government with Washington. They just don't feel they have that kind of standing or that balance of power. However, the foreign secretary is uh, due in Washington tomorrow, and behind closed doors, he could deliver a rather stern message about what India would like to see by way of protection of its citizens in America. That's NPR's Julie McCarthy speaking with us from New Delhi. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. So, yeah, this was some, you know, expanding on the story before about these, uh, actually, was, I think it was three people who were shot. One's American, two Indian, uh, you know, students who actually were recruited by U.S. corporations because of their engineering background. You know, um, went to school in the country, we're out having them drink and, you know, get shot, you know, saying, you know, go back to your country. And sort of brags about it with the bartender, like, you know, I just shot these two Arabs. You know. Doesn't even realize that they're Indian. But. And, um, you know, some of the interviews that they did in New Delhi, just talking to people in the market. But they are terrorists. I mean, that's the thing. That's, it's, it's, I read an article, and I cannot remember what the actor's name is, but he is uh, um, um, Persian. Hmm. and he was saying that all of these roles and stuff that he gets offered are always, you know, terrorist number one, terrorist number two, yeah. or the guy, you know, if it's in New York, the guy that runs the corner store. Right. Um. But this is what you see. This is what black people have complained about for so long, yeah. you know, that we're just starting to climb up from where the only time you cast us on television, you know, in media matters, when you cast us in these media roles and we're always the villains, that's all you see. So anybody of, you know, sandal brown skin, you know, wearing a, uh, uh, wearing a turban, clearly is getting ready to blow some shit up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is, I remember, um, you know, hearing similar stories about that with, um, you know, actors who get the you know, terrorist number two in this series. But it, you know, it was actually like a funny story about the guy saying, yeah, you're terrorist number two. You're terrorist, but you still regret afterwards. So do you want the role still? <laughs> it's like, I can't get, because there was a point at which people were just turning against these roles. They couldn't find people who wanted to take them. And so they tried to like give them some depth. <laughs> so they were, but, but uh, yeah, it's um, clearly an issue. But they but they've already talked about the um, fact that international travel is going to be down in this country. Yeah, for a while because it's dangerous over here. I mean, you know, when you give motherfuckers free reign to just go out and shoot people and hurt people because you think where they might be because they not because they not white. That's what it is because they not white. Well, you know what's interesting is like part of the growth of our movie industry has to do with 
some of the technical jobs that are coming out of India, especially dealing with, you know, computer graphic design. It's almost like a blue collar type position, you know, basic coding, you know, to, you know, a lot. But we aren't taught, but, but again, our educational system hasn't caught up with those things. Yeah. We're still teaching shit from the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Shit that ain't relevant no more. Yeah. So, like, when these students in India take these high level engineering courses and computer and IT, uh, their, their skills are highly sought after by American companies. Yeah. And they're supposed to sponsor their visas. They were just saying, like, the two million Indians in this country. You know, due to those sort of high levels of education that you can attain in India, and then the skill transfer, and so yeah, a lot you of hear about the Indian man that had to prove. I mean, they had they they he had to give them the password to his phone to prove that he was really supposed to be here when he got off the plane, and it was yeah. L.A. or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, because you look you know vaguely Middle Eastern. Uh, it's like. But again, any any place where you are, where some white bitch can get on an airplane and say to the stewardess, that man on the plane is making me uncomfortable. Yeah. He hasn't done anything, he, but he's on the plane, and he's clearly of a certain descent. He's making me uncomfortable. And they remove that person and not her crazy white ass. <laughs> that's why that's why I couldn't be a flight attendant. Everybody said asking me, like, well, why don't you try to be a flight attendant? I said, no, because I have to deal with people like that. I'll get fired. And I have a good record of never being fired from any location that I've worked at. Like on fired, being fired ain't no sin. It ain't no smoke. No, no, I'm just saying I, I, I no know shit like that. I've been fired before. With my mouth, can I, you imagine me not being fired from something? <laughs> let me tell you, that was some of the best cussing outs in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was like, I would probably have to sit there and like get fired as soon as I get on the damn plane because man, where well, he and nobody else has said anything and he looking because you know they're probably like, why didn't you sit there and her claim or like looking like investigate her claim because it was I had to give so and so so and so and seat whatever their their bourbon you know what I'm saying like I mean hell I mean we can only do so much and she were and what pissed me off wait a minute there did you say that she was getting they're getting off the plane and they then she said that. He was no. They were getting on the plane, and they oh. put the Indian gentleman. He was saying he was on the phone with his mother. Mother, yeah, I heard about that. Yes. Yeah, yes. And yeah. they put him off the plane. I believe it was Delta, who has been having a real issue with race mm -hmm. relations anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. they need some sensitivity training or some shit. No, they need <laughs> to just fire me, motherfuckers. I don't believe in sensitivity training. <laughs> <laughs> I believe because. You're racist. You're yeah. racist, and there's no training for that. Yeah. Pretty much. Stop being racist. There's the training. The training goes <laughs> to the managers to teach them how to fire racists. <laughs> that's where the yeah. training Yeah. That's, that's the sensitivity training right there. Yeah. Recognizing a racist that works for you and how you need to give them their pink slip. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the fucking training. Well, anyway, no. well, oh, I could teach that class. <laughs> or uh, uh, have it be like one of those old 1950s and 40s um, uh, instructional videos. You know, they, they'll sit there like, how to identify a racist. And they'll sit there and say something, and all of a sudden the screen says, racist. You know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> 
you know, like racist, you know, have something like that, you know. Yeah. But no, I can't get you your drink, but then you go give Miss Beverdale's drink. Racist. <laughs> well, there is something else I want to talk about in this dealing with the religious freedom bill. Um, I also got a few, so I'm going to play this. We're going to talk about bakers. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you, Derek, about this. You want to okay. talk about because I, I got a lot of opinion about that. Yeah, Go ahead. This one is about the religious freedom bills that are popping up. We talked about the one in Arkansas, not Arkansas, Alabama, that w- w- came up dealing with adoptions. They referenced that, but also other bills uh, throughout the uh, United States in reaction to the Trump administration. Um, and I'm going to play this, and I'll be right back. We've heard about a draft executive order from the White House that's floating around that would effectively bar the government from punishing people or institutions who support marriage exclusively as between one man and one woman. And that's being cast as a religious freedom measure, I guess. This is in the name of religious freedom. It's produced a lot of controversy. We could still see something coming out of it. And there's also legislation that would do something similar. Is that right? Similar language from Ted Cruz. It's called the First Amendment Defense Act because, again, it's about the idea of religious freedom. And we've seen numerous news stories that feature that phrase, religious freedom, in recent years. So is this just about last November's election? No, not at all, Steve. Uh, There's a culture war in this country. Americans in recent years, as you know, have become more secular. Uh, They don't go to church as often. Bible reading, prayers in public are now frowned upon. And of course, in addition to that, a lot of people have become much more supportive of LGBT rights. And in reaction to that, biblically conservative Americans feel that their faith is under assault. And so there is a real reaction to those trends. That's the background. People are saying, if I have to interact with certain people in certain ways, it's a limitation on my religious freedom. Is this really a religious freedom issue, though? Well, the First Amendment to the Constitution says government can't establish a religion, but neither can it limit the exercise of religion. And that's the issue here. What does it mean to be free to exercise your religion? It's not about what you can believe. It's whether you can act on those beliefs. What's an example of that? Well, take adoption. In some states, it is illegal to turn down a same-sex couple when you're placing children for adoption. That's discrimination. But in the Catholic Church, the sacrament of marriage is defined officially as the union of a man and a woman. So a Catholic adoption agency is torn between its faith doctrine and what it sees as a faith obligation to help orphans. I got this from Stanley Carlson Tease. He's the head of the Institutional Religious Freedom Alliance. One of the major activities of the church going way back was to to look after the orphans. And for that to be illegal unless the religious people change their standard seems to me an unfortunate way to solve that. So that's a religious freedom issue. Where adoptions are concerned, will Catholics be free to act according to their religious beliefs? Although if you're a same-sex couple, it's an equality issue because you say there are all kinds of parents and why shouldn't we be able to adopt like anybody else? You shouldn't face discrimination because of your sexual orientation. That should be illegal. Here we go to Karen Narasaki from the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. I can't think of a single civil rights law that doesn't have some people who are unhappy about it, right? But once the country has said, well, we believe that 
people who are LGBT need to be protected from discrimination, then how do you make sure that happens? And can you do it without trampling on someone's religious freedom? I put this to Charles Haynes. He directs the Religious Freedom Education Project at the museum here in Washington. He argues that religious people are entitled to what he calls a claim of conscience. We may not like the claim of conscience, but you know, we don't judge claims of conscience on whether we like the content of the claim. We are trying to protect the right of people to do what they feel they must do according to their God. That is a very high value. Now, what's interesting here, Steve, is that Haynes says this, even though he's actually a supporter of LGBT rights. Non-discrimination is a great American principle. It's a core American principle, as is religious freedom. We have two important American principles coming into tension, into conflict with one another. Our goal as Americans is to sit down and try to see if we can uphold both, both religious freedom and equality. That's what you say the divide is. But to what extent is this really a debate between religious people and secular people, if we would? Well, there actually are secular people on both sides of this issue, and there are religious people on both sides, including on the anti-discrimination side, like the head of the Episcopal Church in the United States, Bishop Michael Curry. He spoke recently on this, saying he does not see a religious freedom problem in America, not like in other parts of the world where Christians face real persecution. I'm not worried about my religious freedom, really. I get them to go to church on Sunday morning, ain't nobody stopping me. My freedom to worship is protected in this country, and that's not going to get taken away. I have been in places where that's been infringed. That, that's not what we're talking about. It's not because some religious conservatives say they want more than the freedom to worship. That's right. They want the freedom to exercise their faith every day of the week, even if it means challenging this idea of equality. I go back to Stanley Carlson Tease from the Religious Freedom Alliance. We can't use equality to just wipe out one of the rights or, or say you can have the right as long as you just exercise it in church, but not out in life. Okay, if you can't do that, how do we resolve the issue? We may not be able to. Uh, there's going to be a lot of tough fights in the legislatures around the country and in the courts. You know, some judges say if you tell one group of people they can act in accordance with their religious beliefs, you are effectively establishing a religion. Others say that protecting a set of beliefs is not the same as protecting a particular religion. For some guidance here, I went to John Inazu. He's a law professor at Washington University who has written a lot on this question. His view is that this tension is so profound that a resolution is unlikely, at least in the short term. There were efforts early on about some kind of compromise. I think those are less and less plausible as time goes on. It's hard to see in some of these cases how there would be an outcome that is amenable to everyone. And so I think we're seeing these cases with us for a long time. Not a lot of hope for compromise. When both sides see themselves as standing on moral or religious high ground, changing minds, Steve, is not easy. Tom, as always, thanks. You bet. That's it. Malcolm, Malcolm, you sat there said you're going to try to end this on a good note. Now I'm pissed because, <laughs> I mean, again, it all goes back to we can just sit there and just take it and then just exercise. Like, I could be a Muslim or I could be Jewish or whatever. And you walk into my damn line at the goddamn grocery store with a damn piece of pork. I can't say this pork store, sir. That's just my religion. <laughs> because that's the, that's the precedent that you set up for me to do. I don't want you to eat this pork. 
because I feel like you could do so much better. <laughs> you know, you could go to go down over here to so and so so and so's line, but she might not sell you that bottle of wine because she doesn't she doesn't believe in she 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 has an issue against drinking, and so it you know so. That's what I said. We need that little segment to end on a high note. Hope so. Everyone has something good because yeah. <laughs> We have to talk about this because I, I apologize for the length of the story because I know it went into a lot of details, but this is something I brought up before about the term religious freedom. And I thought this um, this story kind of highlighted the point of view of those who back these bills and why it's so dangerous as a piece. But first of all, it's not religious freedom. It's right. not. It's it's not religious freedom. It's Christian freedom, exactly. which is something completely different because you aren't taking other religions into account. And I loved your analogy, Mark. I absolutely loved your analogy. Absolutely. Um, if I don't have anything against school prayer, I have zero anything against school prayer. My problem is you're going to give five minutes of prayer time and these kids might say a Christian prayer and these five kids over here might do a completely different prayer. So if you're going to give pray time, then everybody gets to pray in the way they choose to pray or not pray at all. Yeah, exactly. That's not, but but that's not what you're asking for in these religious freedom acts. What you're asking for is the ability to impose your religion on other people. There was a day when I was working at the bakery that I made about 42 cakes that day. Mm. I had no fucking clue where those fucking cakes were going and what was going to happen to them when they left. And I didn't care. Right. All I cared was putting out a quality product so that the next time you needed a cake, you came the fuck back. Yeah, yeah, that's a... Yeah. What that cake was for was fucking irrelevant. Yeah. Because it ain't none of my damn business. You could have been eating that cake at the sacrificing of a baby. I don't know that. Well, this is what's so so crazy is that um, the case, there was a case that I posted to the M3 Politics group about a florist who received a judgment against her for, I believe, $150,000, uh, which was 130000 in damages plus the actual legal fee. So um, the thing was, the customer, and when they go into the details of the case, was, I believe, in Oregon, Portland, somewhere in that area, where he had been a customer for nearly 10 years, just exactly as you said about, you know, this was their florist. Whenever they had a you know a celebration or whatever, they always went to this place to get flowers. And so, what was crazy is that there, you know, the, as the person was talking about it in the story, he discusses how he went there for flowers when there were things like Valentine's Day and birthdays and Mother's Day, and they developed a relationship with the florist. The minute he wanted to marry his boyfriend of ten years, he has an objection, you know. Um, and that's where the lawsuit came from, which is that you're willing to take their business at this point in your you know professional relationship, which has been over a decade. But the minute they get try to get married, you now are saying, "I won't do this." And the analogy they 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 put in there was just like the same thing. It was a um, you know a African American customer, 
who then is marrying a white woman, <laughs> you decide, oh, it's against my belief. I don't believe exactly. in it. That would not be acceptable because of the Constitution. Well, and so yeah. I read a story somewhere, and I try to cut you off, Mac. I read a story somewhere where this black man was paying rent at this trailer park. I don't know if you was the person talking about this or somebody talking about this, but I read it somewhere. Black man is paying rent in a trailer park to this man for three months. Then he saw a white woman over there. And so the man, the, 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 I guess the trailer park manager, whatever, asked, so who's this lady with? Oh, that's my wife. Oh, well, I got to get the fuck up out of here. <laughs> because I don't, I don't, that actually happened. I don't, I don't believe, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, support interracial marriage. Right. And, and so those folks have moved out. Yeah, he had a legal claim, but obviously this case in Seattle took something like $25,000 to litigate. Not everyone has $25,000. You know what? I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real, real honest. I don't get that. Ooh, you don't want my business. I'm not going to force you to take my money. Exactly. But there is another floor somewhere. Oh, I am sorry that we have come to an impasse in our fucking relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the, the person who brought this lawsuit took it personally because of the intended nature of their relationship. Like he was just like dead. <laughs> like, you know, but, no you, but you know what that but you know what that is, Malcolm? Mm-hmm. That's white privilege. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. If you you can if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. But the couple that was getting married was white, right? They were. It was a white gay couple. Yes. yes. Black people would have been like, oh, bitch, this bitch don't want my money. Okay, well, we'll go somewhere that does. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I think that and, was why I found the story interesting because I, I never really thought about the psychology that would lead you to someone. Because I would you know, have. I don't understand. Some, I really don't get suing people to force them to take your money. Exactly. I mean, what? Basically, it's not forcing them to take the money because obviously they they got married and went to a different course. It was for violating the law, basically, and just saying like, "I can get one up on you." I don't know. I wouldn't go down that route. <laughs> but I found the story interesting. I mean, if somebody's trying to kick you out your house or something, that's something completely different. Right. Right. And, well, I mean, and, like I said, it. it it brought forward the amount of money you have to have to even initiate such a lawsuit. You know? Yeah. They also won judgment for $25,000 for their legal fees. It's like, that's a lot of fucking legal fees. <laughs> Just Get money. I mean, I can see it. I can see both sides of the argument, but like, at the, but at the end of the day, like Derek said, like, if you don't want my money, I can go somewhere else and sit there and take my money. But then my whole, I told y'all, my whole thing of action is if they gonna really put this shit in our we gonna we gotta fight fire with fire. That's all I gotta say. It's the old adage of fighting fire with fire. Yeah, you wanna sit there and look good for church come Sunday morning and you know you can get your nails done, your hair done by the damn gaze at the damn thing. You sit there, you sat there and say, well yeah, I don't think that you know I I, I voted for that. And they say you come in and Mar- uh Mariko cannot do your feet today. I'm telling you Jerry Shepard would have looked like the first, last, and in between clown by the time I was done with her. 
Just imagine just how Jacob said, like, oh, I, I got you, girl. I got, I got you. you, girl. Don't worry. I got you. I, I got, got you. You, you did so good. You ain't even got to look at it before you go out on stage. Don't worry about it. It's going to translate perfectly on the screen. And then as soon as she walked out on stage, you sit there and do a selfie as she walked out on stage like this bitch. <laughs> you see how Sherry Shepard looked? Did she like look down there mess? be like, but then you do her yes, I did. And then I like, did. did I do a good job and fucking her life up. Because that's all you gotta do is sit there and shove that mess back down their throats and realize that when you put something in law, you're not just putting it in law to make sure that your you yourself are safe and serene and don't have to worry about nothing. That it's in law. That means that everybody else you your using gifts can throw it back at you. Yes. And you're going to learn. And you're going to deal. <laughs> And you're going to deal accordingly. You're doing too much. You're doing the most. So, I mean, but... Yeah. Well, I want to take this moment to go ahead and uh, try to end on a positive note. If anyone... Oh, I got some positive. Yes. So, um, I'm not going to do my other story because we ended on a positive note. (laughs) And the other one is a fight. Mark, I was going to do that story, that exchange I sent you. Yes. Yes. I'm not going to give this <laughs> That'll be for hangout after dark. Um, I'm gonna end with Saturday Night Live, who had Octavia Spencer on last night. Mm. This show can be really, really funny at times when when they do the political stuff. Because now they've, they they have moved away from a lot of the dick and fart jokes to doing millennial style jokes, but it's all the same joke. Yes. <laughs> but yes. I, I want to take particular, if nobody has watched this yet, you need to go watch it for uh, Kate McKinnon. Mm. Love her. Who last night did um, the Attorney General. Mm. Attorney General as Forrest Gump. That was the opening. (laughs) And the other time Kate McKinnon showed up, she showed up three different times. It was just like, it was when they were doing their transitions to commercial. She was on her knees in the red dress with her phone, Leanne Conway, as they took the camera past her and went to commercial. <laughs> she said nothing. She just did this. She's awesome. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. I died. <laughs> I love her. I love I love Kate McKinnon. I love her. I'm so glad that we have her. Uh, <laughs> because she sells the gag so well. And um I haven't yet to see it though, but I've heard some I heard a lot about it. And I'm glad that YouTube posted um, clips up after they, I think they posted them like right after they're aired or something like that, or 30 minutes after they aired or something like that. But I'm going to check that out. Derek, did you also want to take in the other big moment of tonight? <laughs> um, oh, no, you can have that. I'm going oh. I'm gonna, to, we have, we have one response I'm going to read. Um, oh, yeah. um, Nate James. Hey, Nate. Nate James said, uh, I agree, white privilege goes a long way when it comes to having your rights upheld. He also said on a positive note, when I went to see Moonlight the first time, there were three people there. It was 
It was released in Memphis Friday, and the spot was packed out, mostly straight couples. You oh, oh so Nate, you in Memphis? Okay, that's what's up. Um, because I'm glad that Memphis came out in full force because they did say that Moonlight. I think they gave it the numbers. Um, I had the numbers right here. It made. Give me just a second, y'all. Hold on, uh, but it made 2.5 million in big post Oscar expansion. Nice. Mm-hmm. And the feature grossed over 2.52 million in 1,564 1, theaters, more than double last week's count. Um, so that is great. Um, averaging $1,618. The gross brought Moonlight's total to over 25.3 million. Okay. Last year's. Uh, 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 Post Oscar Best Picture win last year, Open Road Spotlight grossed over one point seven seventy six million in twelve hundred theaters. That the weekend after the Academy Awards, averaging one thousand four hundred thirty nine. Um, yeah, so that's cool. Moonlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say um, do a shameless plug again for the Entertainment Hangout because we definitely had a really expansive conversation. <laughs> And I'm going to try to, you know, limit my enthusiasm when we talk about it. But, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Something else I guess I've been watching um, since our discussion was uh, Legion. I guess I finally started watching it. Oh, did you? I did. And I found it uh, very entertaining, actually. I'm enjoying it. So I think I'm almost up to date. I think I'm one episode behind. But um, I, I think still have only- to catch back up. These yeah, only I think it's only three up, three weeks. We only three or four, four weeks in. It's four, four weeks in. I, I got two to catch up on before Wednesday, so it's, it's, I, it's just like you when you get through watching Legion, you got to sit there and have a drink. Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> you got to have a drink. Like, well, shit. I mean, damn. But tonight, I'm going to get my damn life with feud. Yeah, I think I'm gonna open a bottle of wine and watch that. Because uh-huh. that is going to be it. Just the the memes and the posts they've been making had just been like old school shade, and I'm like, oh, I just can't wait to see Justin Lane and Susan Sarandon go at each other's throats. This could be just like, oh God, I cannot wait to see that. Yeah, <laughs> an all star cast. That I'm here for. Yeah, yeah Catherine Zeta Jones. Because I didn't know all these people was in this Kathy Bates. I'm like, I don't know all these. This is gonna be. Don't be good. Yeah, be like, yes, yes. <laughs> I call it, I call it shade bending. <laughs> like from the uh, Avatar, like it's yes, like, yes, yes. Um, I, I cannot wait to see that, and I'm probably gonna watch the first episode twice. Because you're going to have to, like Derek said, you have to watch the first time just to watch it. The second time you got to sit there and take notes, like, ooh, that was some good shade. Second time you got to second. <laughs> ooh, ooh, that was some good shade. Let me write that down. <laughs> oh, I'm about to use that on the bench. Yes. Because you know sometimes some folks don't know where it comes from half the time. <laughs> you're like, this just shade coming. But um, also, I finally saw Don't Nobody Come For Me. I finally saw Doctor Strange last night. And okay. it was a damn good movie. Uh, I, it was. 
we didn't talk about it enough. I don't think when, when it came out, nobody on the panel ever said anything much about it. So I was kind of a little nervous. I'm like, it took me a couple weeks to see okay. it because I went to go see it. And then there was the fire alarm. So just okay. as so. OK, so the point where Dr. Strange is fighting um, um, dude the first time in the uh-huh. house. Yeah. Right after he gets all shackled down. Mm hmm. That's when the lights went off and the alarm went off and then the movie shut down. Oh no. So I had to go sit through it all again. Oh. Yeah, I could have probably been like, I need a refund and another ticket to go see this movie. Like I want both, not just a refund. Oh, they, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You know. <laughs> they had to give me some free popcorn or something. Yes, because like y'all motherfuckers been doing y'all damn job. But uh and I loved it. I thought it was a good movie. I loved the see. I watched the special features, so I saw the the Team Thor, <laughs> and they need to have more Chris Hemsworth as like as that type of Thor because he was just sitting there like, yeah, we need a servant. We need a manservant, and he told the manservant, "You have to pay my bills." So he said, "But you got to clean up and everything, but also you have to go get a job and pay my bills." <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> It's just hilarious, and so I like I would like to see more of that in Thor Ragnarok, though. But um, it's a it was a good little clip, and then they show the cinematic universe, um, the Phase Three thing, and they ended it. They didn't end. They ended it on Avengers, though. But they really sat there, and I love how Kevin Feige said, "Yeah, Black Panther is the most important picture in Phase Three. I said, "You got that right. It is." <laughs> You don't want to fuck that up. <laughs> because we will sit there and be like, you know what? Do we we will sit there and have a collective? Like, do we really want to go see Avengers Infinity War? Like, do we really have to go see Avengers Infinity War? Like, do we really have to yeah. some of us might flake and go see it, but at the same time, we gonna make a we go we gonna show y'all that we were not impressed. Like, no, that no, no, that wasn't good. But they had Ryan Coogler talking about it and the producers and everything like that. They show production steals and whatnot. And I got excited all over again. I'm thinking like next year this time. We're going to be in the afterglow of Black Panther. So <laughs> we're going to just be in the afterglow. We're going to yeah. be just like, oh. We're going to be like those true. oracles, those Apple oracles on this South Park episode. We're going to be floating around like, hi, how are you today? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So just think. So, Mark, I have some good news for you. Oh, okay. Uh, Nate James said he just moved to the area. And he was actually in Brownsville last week visiting family. Wow, small world. So y'all are probably related. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? No joke aside, I will put it past. No tea, no shade, no pink lemonade. Y'all are probably probably related. I mean, I know how these. I've learned how these southern things work. <laughs> you sit there, somebody coming to the library looking all good, and she's like, "Hey, how you doing? How you doing?" And they get to talking and everything, and they drop a name that you know. Like, how do you know? Oh, that's my cousin. Really? That's my cousin. <laughs> I, I, I would be like, "That's my cousin." Like, really? Because I'm so used to that by now. But I'm just dead paying with like. But I'm like, okay, so you know. But hey, it's it's all good. But yeah, Nate. Um, if you. 
get my contact information. Just hit me up and we can, you know, see if we can like meet up or something like that, have a drink or something like that. Because I always love to sit there and meet people in the Tennessee area that are M3 fans. Because it's, most everybody I know are in the, either in Atlanta or the Georgia area, up north, out west. Never anybody in Tennessee. I had always explain to people, you know, which is not a problem. I love passing the gospel of M3 around to people. Speaking of which, since we're all doing the promotions, I was interviewed by Wyatt Evans um, this past week. And my episode will be airing Thursday, actually Tuesday. Of this week, so hopefully, if not Tuesday, it'd be Thursday. So, and the topic of discussion was the big boy community and body issues, and um, yeah, and and body, um, and self love, self love of your body, stuff like that, you know. And I've you, I, you know, passed on the message to M3 and also Big Boy Project, you know, just um, because. I, why I was like, you know, you he he called me like a um, expert of the big boy community. I was like, uh, um, I got, I got you, you. Got you. I got you. Oh, God's children got you. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a good conversation that we had, and I'm pretty sure everybody would like it. And you know, maybe you can take something from the interview and bring it into topics for next week's hangout. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're always gonna have uh, plenty to discuss because. Um, no, it's almost way shit happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's plenty of shit that we couldn't even get to. Um, but it's always it's great to get uh, feedback from everybody. Um, like I said, I um, try to you know, reach out on different pages as well. I want to thank everybody who um, accepted us on the uh, M3 Team Thick thing that I'm trying to ramp into higher gear. Um, basically, all you got to do is inbox us. If you're following us on any social media platform, you're welcome to uh, inbox us a picture. Um, I'll ask you a few questions and we'll post you on all the M3 platforms. It's been a great way of getting people to communicate with each other. Uh, you know, find new people to follow. I mean, you can inbox me if you happen to find someone who uh, wants to be featured. That's welcome as well. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, you know, there's also plenty of links, somewhere, somewhere. you know, everything on mailmediamind.com. Um, we'll be back at you next week. Uh, same bear time, same bear channel. Uh, thank you everybody for being here. <laughs> right, see you next week. Thank you for listening to the M3 Bear Essentials podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or whichever podcatcher you use. And if you would like to get more content from M3, visit mailmediamind.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, and many others. But most importantly, our link to YouTube, where you can subscribe and get a notification when we go live. There, you can participate in the Q&A and be a part of the conversation. Again, my name is Malcolm Travers, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode.